Yeah, it's, it's super encouraging. So what we, what we did is uh, they have a table in the back. You guys can talk to them before you leave today. You can grab uh, boxes for your family, and you can just use a shoebox, regular shoebox at your family if you want. I say every year we love doing this with uh, Jackson, who's six, our, our son, because uh, one, he, he loves learning about the unreached and people groups, but he also loves to uh, write a little note about what Jesus has done, and you can do that with your child, then you can pack it, and then you can just pray over the box and pray that the child that receives the box would hear this gospel and that other people and, and people who love Jesus would come alongside that child who receives it, that they'd be put in a church where they could continue to be discipled and raised up uh, and loved by Jesus. So um, just encourage you to do that as a family. The last day to drop it off would be November 24th, that's Sunday, Sunday leading up to Thanksgiving. So you can grab boxes, work on them, and then every week just bring them and drop them at the info center uh, in the mornings, and then we'll be taking them all uh, after service on November 24th, which would be uh, a blessing. So uh, we'll if you are new or visiting, glad you're here, glad you get to join us. We love to worship Jesus. That's why we sing. That's why we preach. That's why we observe the Lord's Supper, which uh, we don't believe gifts you righteousness, but nourishes you by taking this meal, uh, remembering the saving benefits of Jesus, and we worship him by being generous and giving. Uh, and we always say, if you're not a regular attender, remember not to give. We want you to know Jesus Christ. We've been walking through uh, the book of First Peter. We love taking books of the Bible and kind of walking through them chapter by chapter, line by line, so that you can know all that God is trying to communicate and say through his written word. And so um, this helps you kind of interpret text. It helps you understand themes. And it also most primarily helps you understand that Jesus is the central piece and person to the whole story that is the scriptures. And so um, we've been going through 1 Peter. And this morning we're going to be in chapters, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And so um, very simply this morning, uh, what I want us to just kind of think about and consider is what Peter wants us to consider and think about, which is our strangeness is mission. Uh, our weirdness as Christians is mission. So let's ask God to teach us that. Jesus, thank you uh, that you've created us and made us in your image through the person and work of your son. God, thank you that we are made new. Thank you that we're made different. Thank you that we are transformed. And thank you that we now have your Holy Spirit that transforms our mind and our hearts and our actions and attitudes towards glorifying your name and not ourselves. God, we pray that we would see many come to, the, to know Jesus through our conversations, through our witness, through us as a people, through your church as a people across the globe. Uh, God, we're thankful that you've given us such a humble privilege that we don't deserve in being mouthpieces for the King of Kings. Um, we pray you teach us, exhort us, convict us, challenge us. In Jesus' name, amen. First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 12. Um, you know, when I used to work in college with college students and high school students at our previous church before we moved here and planted this church, uh, a common theme you'd hear when somebody would uh, believe the gospel, hear about the unbelievable news of what Jesus offers in Christ, is this, is now my friends all think I'm strange. Right, or my family now thinks I'm crazy. Like they, they don't. They think I've just gotten on the loony train, and I'm a part of a cult. And I've been brainwashed. Right? That's that's some some of you. When you come to faith, you you've had that experience. This is so common for us, uh, learning and, and hearing about and seeing people get converted and changed by the message of Jesus. And um, thinking about a lot of that as um, that happens and that becomes a common kind of slogan is um, we don't realize who we are. Like. 
we, we somehow think that we should receive this amazing gift of salvation, this amazing forgiveness of sin, that, that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, that, that he's sinless for our sinfulness, that he is righteous for unrighteousness, and then we kind of are, leave unchanged and blend back into culture and society, and that's called normal Christianity, right? So, so let's trust Jesus, but look nothing like Jesus, let, let's claim to follow him, but not actually follow him. And then we're like, I mean, I know Jesus said the world's going to hate you because it hated me. I didn't believe that was actually true. So, so when you get mocked, whether through words or through deeds, or someone says something to you, you, you kind of curl back because you think something's odd with you. And the truth is, there is. <laughs> You're, I mean, look at us. I mean, you, you are absolutely a peculiar people. When God saves a people, he makes us peculiar. He makes us different. Shouldn't look the same. That wouldn't make sense. Um, and so here, Peter, as he's showing us this, is one of the reasons I love First Peter. I love First Peter because um, he loves you too much to let you drift there. Um, he, he loves just being so forward, so blatant, so serious about reminding you who you are in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he will show us in this book that people will look at us as strange and not only look at us as strange, but know that we are strange, that we are exiles, that we are foreigners, that we are sojourners, that we are but passing through, but we are but visitors on our way to our future home. Our citizenship isn't here, it's in heaven, right? Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 20. And so remember the first thing out of the gate, Peter reminded you this. He said, we're elect exiles. He said, you're chosen by God, loved by God, God initiated, God sent, God gave, God did all that through his son. And then don't forget, you're also this exile, right? You're the most despised person in a worldly sense, and the most loved person in Christ. And he said, but you're an exile. You're going to be pushed to the fringe. Culture will not agree with you, will not understand you, will not want you. That's, that's normal, that's normal for us. That's what he reminds us. And then if you go 16 verses later, chapter 1, verse 17, little translation is you're a stranger in this world. So he tells you it in verse 1. He waits 16 more verses, tells you again in verse 17 of chapter 1. And now again in chapter 2, he's going to remind you a third time of who you are. So here's what he's doing. He's saying you are now a people. Remember, we're a people, not just to be individually different, but as a collective group different, and we're a community brought together to be on a mission. What's the mission, Peter? Here's the mission. He's going to really unfold this for the remainder of the book, and he's going to start it here, verse 11, chapter 2. This is what Peter says. Beloved, I love that. He, he loves what he's telling you. He, he, that's very endearing. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So the perpetual question that started in verse 1, that you're this elect exile, that that's who we are, we belong to Jesus, you read all of 1 Peter through that lens, he continues throughout this letter saying we're exiles, we're sojourners, we're foreigners, we're strangers. And that word stranger literally means someone who is found or belongs someone who doesn't belong in the environment in which they're found. That's what it means to be a sojourner. That's what it means to be an exile. Uh, some of you have the NASB version. It says stranger and aliens, right? 
Um, it's even better. You're an alien. I love that. I was like, use NASB just for today. Um, just so I can call you that. You freak, you know. You're an alien. Like that, that's what that's showing. Anyway, so, so why are we strangers though? Like why are we sojourners? Why are we exiles? Why are we a people that find ourselves in a home to which we don't belong? Well, he just answered that last week if you were here. We're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a people of God's possession. That's why he's going to say what he's going to say. That's why he's going to tell you, this is why I urge you as those people to now live on mission a certain way so you can be a testimony to the character, nature, and glory of God. You're a chosen race. We talked about that last week. We're not all supposed to be the same. He's trying to make us one. We come from tribes and tongues and nations and ethnicities and backgrounds, not so that we lose those things. He's trying to remove inequality from you, not your distinctiveness. And that's necessary for you being a great display of who God is in his infinite wisdom. Praise God the body of Christ is made up of all tribes and tongues. It'd be so stupid to all be homogeneous. What would that say to anyone? What would that say to the world? What would that testify? Nothing. And he says you're a royal priesthood, right? You're, you're made royal by Jesus. Priests got to serve the king. We have a royal privilege. You're a holy nation, he said. You've been given an imputed righteousness, and you get to work out that righteousness as you live for him, and you're a people of his own possession. He bought you. He purchased you for his own glory and name. Now, since you're that, I urge you, right? Because you're those things, I urge you to live this way, and he writes this, and I love this. He, we're strangers because we belong to Christ, not culture. We take our cues from God, not from media or fashion magazines or popular opinion. That's not where we take our cue. We have our cue, we have our antennas somewhere else. What does God say? What does God believe? How is God directed? So we're strangers for a brief stay. The world is not our home. We're visitors who are not going to be always well-treated or well-welcomed. So wait a second. (laughs) The scriptures are telling me that I'm supposed to seem peculiar. They're telling me that that's normal to those who do not yet know Jesus Christ. Because maybe some of you guys are sitting here going, I've been trying so hard to fit in. I became a Christian, and all I've been trying to do is like compromise. I've been trying to not look abnormal. I've been trying to look like this world, like it's my home. And, and Peter's going, but if that's not who you are, then why do you long to do that? He's showing you that we're something else. Now, guys, I, I know this might sound obvious, <laughs> but do you understand that if you're a Christian, you're supposed to look different? Like, I don't know if that's, like, new to you, but that's what the Bible says. Like, that, that's, that's so normal to the Bible. Like, like if you read this, um, there's nothing abnormal about how culture, how society, how government, how non-Christians treat Christians. Like that, that shouldn't surprise you. It's why later in chapter 4, verse 4, it says, don't be surprised when they malign you and heap abuse on you as you follow Jesus. And later in verse 12 of chapter four, don't be surprised when you face these fiery trials. Don't be shocked. I can't believe they think that about me. Of course they do. They don't have the mind of Christ. They don't have the heart of Jesus. 
And so here Peter's showing us something that is really important. So because we belong to Jesus, who's the cornerstone, we learned a couple weeks ago, we even made a people last week to come together to get something done. To live in such a way to where we abstain from passions that once ruled us, which wage war against us, also that people might see a peculiar people and be drawn to Jesus because those passions no longer enslave us. We've been freed to another passion, which is to him. Now there are usually two responses to this type of text that I have to talk about. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. I'm trying not to laugh. I just, for some of you, may get in trouble for this. But, but here, here's, here's kind of the two camps. Either uh, one is, um, okay, let's leave culture, kind of form a commune, and huddle up with our own kind. Okay, that's one. Right, so we're aliens and strangers. Let's not touch the world. Let's not let that sin get on us. Let's not get around those sinners, those pagans, those wicked people. And then there's the other kind, which is like kind of the, I don't know, loony, just kind of like liberal side that says, hey, let's just get out in the world, be just like culture, sin and compromise because we're, we're, we're strangers, we're aliens. So let's be good evangelists in that way. Now, what's great is Jesus is gonna pave a third way. Jesus actually prays against both those extremes in his high priestly prayer where he says, hey, uh, go out in the world, but would you protect him from the evil one? He doesn't say get your fence up and hide. <laughs> he says go out as sheep among wolves, right? So, so those are kind of the, the two things that we kind of can fall into if we're not careful when we start talking about healthy witness, healthy mission, healthy evangelism as being strangers and sojourners in a world that will not receive us. Um, so we don't want people to think we're weird because we're actually weird. You track in like, like there's, if you're just a jerk by being weird, that's not missional. That's not helpful, right? Like that's, people, just, people just don't like me. It's because I'm weird. It's supposed to be a stranger. No, no, you're just a jerk. Like that's why they don't. You, that's not what we want. We want to be wise, winsome, helpful strangers, okay? Um, if the stumbling blocks you, that's an issue. If the stumbling blocks the word of God, that's okay. Okay, that, follow me, no, great. Okay, we're gonna keep moving. This is Philippians 3.20. Look at what, what Paul said to us, but our citizenship is in heaven. Okay, we're living counterculturally because this is where our citizenship is and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Peter and Paul are always gonna say the same thing because they're both inspired by the Holy Spirit and I love this text because it's really kind of a great cliff note or kind of, kind of place to put your footing to what Peter's gonna talk to you about. And what he's showing here in this text is, while the world has their mind set on earthly things, our mind is on the real story. That's what it means to be a stranger. Our mind's awaiting a savior. Now, he's talking about the second advent. We have the first advent, which is Christmas, right? They're awaiting the Messiah. They're awaiting the birth of the King of Kings. Jesus comes. He's incarnated. He lives an obedient life. He dies an obedient death. He rises from death. He validates his victory over Satan's sin and death. He imputes and gives his Holy Spirit to all who trust in his name and trust in his work alone for forgiveness of sin and what's amazing is he unleashes the church now on mission so we're in this weird kind of what theologians call already not yet so the bill's been paid in full I'm fully forgiven but I'm awaiting a second advent that hasn't been consummated yet okay so the second return of Jesus Christ we're waiting on now here's why this is so huge and being a stranger and sojourner is that's where your eyes are that's where you're thinking 
You're remembering that, and that's motivating you in your courage. That's motivating you in your zeal. That's motivating you in decisions you make and choices you make and how you do everything as a good missionary for Jesus. My citizenship isn't here. I'm a sojourner. I'm an exile. I'm passing through. Right? I'm headed to the second advent. This is what he wants to remind us of. So we live as strangers aware of that day coming when there will only be one headline on the news and only one thing you read in the paper. Isn't that going to be amazing? So because you know that's coming, you're urgent in how you live today. And isn't it great to know that we will one day in glory wake up every single day if we wake up, I assume we'll wake up. If we wake up every single day, I mean, I guess we'll need rest, not because we're tired, but because it's a gift or it's perfectly holy. Who cares? Talk about that with your friends. But what, what's awesome is regardless, every time you put on the TV, it's going to say, guess what? No more wars or rumors of wars. Every time you read the paper, heaven times. Guess who's still king of his kingdom perfectly? Jesus. Guess what? There's no sickness today. And won't be for eternity. Guess what? There will be no death today or for eternity. Guess what? No one's going to shed a tear today or for eternity. Guess what? Everyone's only going to be gloriously happy today. Everyone is just going to love Jesus with their whole heart today. Everyone's going to just behold the glory of God today. Isn't that crazy to think about? So, So if that's where your mind is, it affects you here as a stranger. You're living in light of that day coming. And listen, um, on that day, no one will feel like they're a stranger. You're going to feel right at home. This is why Romans 8 says that you're groaning for that. You want to know why? Because you're longing for that. You're not yet there. So, so what's in you is longing for that. And this is why he talks about, we'll go back to verse 11, passions of your flesh that wage war against your soul. So, so we know this day's coming. We know who we are as strangers and aliens, and we know we've been transformed by the grace of God, but here's what I want you to understand. This is speaking less about God being some cosmic killjoy who kind of wants to remove from you everything you like in the world, all those passions that you want to participate in, and somehow you can't have them. That's not what this is saying. It's not what the Bible ever says when it's talking about this. What he's talking about here is he's more reminding you of what God has wooed you into, what God has called you into as to how to use your passions to glorify his name. He's trying to remind you how he's wired things. Okay, so, so most people who are just religious read this text and go, oh man, I'm supposed to do and not do. No. No, gospel people say, man, God's lured me into something better. He's rewired my passions, so I'm now for something that was once unwired and fractured because of sin and left me frustrated and empty. That, that, that's the difference here. And so, so this is why um, when he talks about these, these passions, he's talking about from the beginning, God has made you to be a certain way. And when sin entered the scene, we all became one way. And when God rewires you back to his original design, now you look abnormal when that was always normal. So really the normal ones are us. 
who actually have seen the glory of God in Christ and realize who we're meant to be as his children. This is why Colossians 1 says this amazing reality, this profound reality that the cross of Jesus Christ dealt with your alienation. Alienation meaning you love God's stuff, you don't want him. That's everyone apart from Christ. That's the reason that we've sinned. That is Genesis 3 in a nutshell. We just want what God's made. We don't want him. That leads to hostility, Paul says. That leads to evil deeds, Paul says. Meanwhile, most people in evangelicalism want to just deal with their works and their deeds and try to trim branches when God and the gospel goes after the root and says, I'm going to resolve your alienation. And what that means is he took your passions of the flesh, which were warring against your soul, and he lined them up with his heart when they were kind of separated from his heart. So now, it doesn't lead to hostility. Hostility just means you blame everyone because you lack fulfillment. Of course you do when you think that God's stuff was meant to satisfy you. And that leads you to bad works, evil deeds, because of course when you're hostile, then you do things that are evil. Do you see that good deeds aren't the issue? God doesn't want you moral, he wants to make you new. God wants worship. God wants a transformed heart. This is why, this is so important you understand where Peter's coming from. This is why sex was designed for worship. As God has designed it, as God has made it. This is why when we eat, it's not just so you'd be satisfied, enjoy it, but so you'd worship God who made it. That's why God gives us children, so we can worship him and be sanctified all at the same time, right? You, you, God gives these gifts for him. And when you realize that, right, all of a sudden they're not for you alone, they're for God. They war in the right way, not the wrong way. And so, I don't know, you can, you can just go through a list. This is so important for us to understand these passions of the flesh, um, less than just these do's and don'ts, but understanding your heart and why. It's because you lack fulfillment somewhere because you're loving what God has given you more than him. That's it. So, so maybe the reasons you lash out um, is because your passions have not been rewired by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe for some of us, that means you just blame it on your kids, right? This is me. I'm tempted to wander down this stream, right? We, our, our kids don't act a certain way, perform a different way. And so instead of us taking the privilege God's given us, we table it, right, of pointing them to a Savior and loving, encouraging, and leading them to the ways of Jesus and showing them his grace and showing them his forgiveness. Um, we, especially in the suburbs, love to just have like 10-year-olds that act like 40-year-olds, we expect them to be fully matured, right? I mean, some of you guys just get tweaked out because on the field, they don't look like Derek Jeter, Eli Manning. Well, guess what? They may never be. So some of us, we just need to repent that our identity is so wrapped up in our kids. And that's a passion that wages war against your soul and you forget that you are loving what he's given you more than him. And we love him first, you love your children best. Uh, Maybe it's your parents. You grew up. Parents were failures. I'm not trying to minimize abuse. I'm not trying to minimize hell some of you have walked through that most people will never understand. I'm just saying some of us, we just lash out at them and it's their fault. No, the responsibility is on us. We've received forgiveness in Christ and we now have the hard work to bear with them and hand them over to a higher court, which is Jesus. Maybe you blame work, right? 
That's, that's the passion of your flesh it needs to be rewired. You thought work was designed for you. It's really designed for worship. If it weren't for you being there, if everyone would listen to you, they'd be a trillion-dollar company. They'd be making billions, right? If they would just listen to your idea, right? But the problem is they're not, so everyone's getting laid off. And God say, no, work is worship. Work isn't given solely for you. Work was given so that you might magnify God where you are as a good missionary, how you respond to things, how you operate under authority, how you do any of that. These are the passions that wage war against us. Maybe some of us, you simply blame God. You simply blame God. Because you grew up hearing a gospel that was contract, not covenant, and you thought that it was an agreement between you and God, that if he upholded his end, you'd uphold your end, and that if you did enough good things, then God would continually like you and accept you, and you did not know it was a covenant where God loves you and accepts you regardless of you, so that even when you fall short, you still can worship and praise his name because the gospel is still sweet to you, it's still good news to you, it's still forgiving for you. Maybe some of you believed that the, the message of the Bible was God would come in and fix everything that you hate, and that's why you're upset and frustrated. You realize that that's not the message at all of this book. The message is he'll come give you something better than all those things himself so you can enjoy him and have him. And this is what God does in the cross of Christ. He deals with our alienation so that now we can abstain from passions that once waged war. Now we don't fall prey to that silliness. We're aware because we're strangers and we've been made new. And this is why as you now start walking as God's rewired you, why you seem strange. Because those things no longer enslave you and own you. When you see yourself as a stranger, citizenship in heaven, and God is your only direction for living, then you stop drifting with the current of the day. You know, knowing this, this whole idea here is so motivating in sharing our faith <laughs> with other people. Because now when you, you open your mouth and articulate things about Jesus, and they give you a look, <laughs> or they respond in a way that's brash and bristly, not because you're being brash and bristly, but because the word of God is a stumbling block, you're not surprised, right? It's so motivating. Well, of course. Of course they feel that way. Of course they respond that way. Of course they think that I'm loony. Of course they think I'm drinking Kool-Aid from the sewer. Of course, they think I've been raptured by aliens. Of course, they think these things. And then we remember I'm not from here. I have a totally different set of desires and understanding of life than them. And I long for them to know this. I long for them to be rewired. I long for them no longer to be ruled from the passions of their flesh which wage war against their soul. I long for them to see all these things as gifts of worship to God. I long for a day when they would understand those things. And I long for them to, th- to understand that what they think is bringing peace is not bringing peace. Right? We long for that. If you have family, we got family that does not know Jesus. My own brother left the faith, loves the world, love him to death, want him to know peace comes from being with Jesus. Right? Friends. That's just reality. Co-workers. Neighbors. But it's normal when they think it's strange. I remember when I was a 
senior in high school, I was not someone who, so do not understand this as men, I was like loving Jesus, walking with the Lord in amazing ways, but I had an understanding of Christ, an understanding of who God is and what he has done in this work of the gospel. And I remember being at a particular gathering at Nathan Dappen's house, and it was huge, this huge house, and walking in, and there was every type of vice and idolatry happening. And, and so I'm, I'm there, and there, is, there are orgies, there's pornography on TVs, there's illicit drug use, there's just lots of things happening. And I remember feeling out of place. I just remember feeling like, man, this, this isn't something that I want. So I just quietly decided to walk out the back door. And my, one of my good friends who I played lacrosse with, Jason Kangaroo, was standing outside smoking a cigarette. And I walked out, and he looked at me, he's like, Reed, where are you headed? And I was like, oh, <laughs> And I'm thinking of every excuse, right? Just going to get some water. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't want him to dare think I'm a weirdo, right? I don't know. You need anything in the supermarket? Going to go pick it up? It's just headed there. I've got everything going through my head. And I just remember, I don't know how God gave me the grace. I was not really a courageous person with the gospel as a senior in high school. I just remember looking at him. And some, for some reason, I said to him, Jason, I'm just feeling like I need to go be with Jesus. Oh, what? I'm like, is that what you say? I don't know. I, is that missional? Is that helpful? Is that? And I just walk up the grass, the grassy knoll, up to my car, leave, think nothing about it. True story. Four years later, four years later, I'm in my college dorm room, third year of college. He writes me a three-page letter. You know what he said? I've been pestered every single night since you left what I thought was everything. And it's bothered me that your answer was Jesus. And it seemed so strange to me. It was so strange. Like, I'm looking at what I think is the utopian of society, and yet you believe you have something better to go be with. <laughs> and he thought it was strange. And because it was so strange, he wanted to know. People aren't going to want to know if you're not strange. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, some of us, it's like clicking for the first time in your head. Ah, kind of makes sense. Yeah, Eureka. If you look just like your neighbors, why are they going to ever ask you anything? If you look just like everyone else in your, you know, office, why are they ever going to ask you anything? If you look the exact same as everyone else you're around, why are they ever going to ask? If people come into the church and don't see anything peculiar about us, why are they going to care? It's terrible evangelism, seeker-sensitive movement, so stupid. Sorry. It just is. I mean, it's just, what is seeker-sensitive? <laughs> That's like anti-helpful. <laughs> hey, we're going to look just like you, man. Come in. I mean, what? No, it's come in. We're going to tell you something different and hope that your heart get gets wooed to something better that can actually change you and can actually help you. Church of Jesus Christ needs to hop on the bandwagon of the gospel, <laughs> which is the only message. There's only one bandwagon. 
I'm just so, okay, so here, I'm almost done. Verse 12, this is the best part, best part. Land on the plain. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I love this. We're still called to love those who don't love us, who serve those who criticize us. Be kind to all as we evangelize, as we are good missionaries. Peter says out, love them so that they glorify God. Be peculiar so they glorify God, not you. I love that the point of everything is him. The point of everything that we do is so that God gets praise. And he says, and some will become Christians. Not all, but some. But some. This is why we do this. This is why we live as strangers and aliens. Because we know some will. We know that all won't. But we know that some, and this is such great encouragement to the Christian. I remember David Cole, a kid who came into our high school ministry, went through our college ministry, and his mom was like, would you please meet with David Cole? And I'm like, I don't want to meet with your son, man. He hates me. He hates the Bible. He hates everything belonging to Christianity. Just meet him. I said, I'll meet him one time. That's our deal. Met him at a Starbucks. Man, the kid was like, just like this. And I'm just like trying to draw from him. You know me, I'm extroverted. I ain't introverted, so I overwhelm you. I get it, man. I want your social. I want your everything. I just, when you come in for the first time, hey, hey, what's your name, middle name, last name, how many kids? I know. You look at me. I see it. I just love you because I'm, that's how I'm wired. It's okay. Go in a cave when I come near. I won't be offended. Go to Mike McKinney. He's more introverted. He'll love you well. He'll pastor you, okay? But listen, this is me. I'm drawing him out. Nothing. Second time. I was like, I'll meet one more time. Nothing. Third time. So I finally, on the third time, I said, David, listen, I'm going to meet you next week. We're going to open up the book of Ephesians, and we're just going to chat about it. And if you come, you got nothing to say. I'm not meeting with you again. And this kid came back the next week. I don't know why. Work of the Holy Spirit, man. He had underlined things in Ephesians 1, and we just started talking. He becomes a Christian. He joins the Air Force. He's now doing missions in Italy as someone in the Air Force, winning people to Jesus. Ended up doing his wedding. Listen, that's not always the story, but some. Some are going to glorify God. Some you're going to see meet Jesus and glorify his name. That's why the mission is not to make our name great, Church of Bergen great, Mike Reed great, any pastor great, any preacher great, but make his name great, Jesus great. That's the goal, that's the mission, that's the reality, that's the aim that we would glorify God. I love that. So if we live as missionaries in the world and we live in worship to Jesus, Peter says what will happen is they will speak against you at time as evildoers. Not if they do, when they do. So that's going to happen too. Some are going to be one to Jesus and some are going to speak evil against you. This is family. This is friends. This is coworkers. This is anybody that's going to happen. But I love that he says it's always been about him. The goal has always been Christ to see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I believe this means day of visitation and salvation and the second advent. Let's not debate it now. But I believe those are both here. And isn't this so encouraging that it's always been about him? Because otherwise, what, what is the point of what we're doing? Otherwise, we just leave and do stuff. Well, I'm going to go do community. And I'm going to go do evangelism. That, that's just you, you being mechanical. 
That's just you going and doing things. You're not being so transformed that these things ooze out of you, that you meet people in the street. I, I don't even have a speech plan. I don't have the Romans were memorized. I don't have the spiritual laws. But man, I just, all I know is I was blind, now I see. All I know is Jesus loves me. Jesus saved me. Jesus, I don't know. Want to grab lunch? Want to chat about it? No? Fine. Pray for you, right? Make, pray they come back next week. Just, just listen. This is you relieving yourself of the silliness that is enslaving you and you feeling like you have to be this theologian that's out the room. Man, just listen. People are going to say evil things. That doesn't mean that you don't have the right answers. Lose confidence in you. Gain confidence in him. Right, just be who God has made you to be. Understand that you're going to be seen as a stranger and not like this. I mean, it's not forcing people to do anything. It's, man, we're doing these things. We've been so transformed by Jesus. Another reason this is huge is otherwise, you know how we leave gatherings or you leave counseling sessions or you leave small groups is you simply leaving saying or coming in saying, well, I just want my marriage to be better. God fix my marriage, period. Why? I just want my marriage to be better period. Or God, uh, I don't know, I'll gather today so you can free me from this addiction and this vice that rules my life. Why? I don't know, I just don't want to be an addict, period. Or God, would you transform this anger? I just don't don't like being angry. I want to love people better. Okay, why? I don't know, I just don't want to be an angry person, period. What's that, right? Peter's showing, no, I I want my marriage to be right. I want my vices to be depleted. I want to be loving. Why? So they see how loving you are. They see how good you are. They see the covenant you keep with me. They see how good you are. There are other pleasures I want and want, right? It changes everything, man. Your, Your desire to even see changes in your life isn't so you can just have an ease of conscience. It's so you can bring glory and praise to God. So people go, man, you're peculiar. Because what's different from that and other social spectrums and structures that we join? So listen, Peter's saying if these things are true of you, especially the culture that we live in, people are going to say horrible things about you, some in word, some in deed. Hear me. If you stick to the gospel, you will always feel homeless. Do you understand that? You'll always feel a bit homeless until glory, the day of visitation. So don't be surprised. That's what Peter's reminding us of. Now let me say, some of us, I'm gonna end with these just three um, questions to ask yourself because I felt led to do that. Um, Some of us are just so caught up in what we're opposing and forgetting that we're introducing. So maybe your whole life you read this, oh, Christians are all about what we're against. No, it's what we're for. Do people only know you by what you're against and not what you're for? Do you think that it's all about opposing things, not introducing a person? That's what good evangelism is. We're introducing someone to people. We're not telling them, we oppose that. You sinner? No. We're introducing you to the light and love of Jesus who can transform you from the ways that you're living. And so, hear me, there will be people, and I'm gonna say it, on the crazy conservative right, and there are people on the loony liberal left who will oppose you. And this is why Jesus says there's a third way, and it ain't the independent party. It's the party of Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. It's his way. It's his third way. And that's being wise in how we walk with outsiders. That's being winsome and helpful. That's not claiming camps politically. It's claiming Jesus is our king. So let me just give you three things. 
because we need to be a people who love the honest sinner and love the religious who think they have no sin. Number one, have you asked God for wisdom? Might sound wild, but it's good to ask God for wisdom. Ask God for help. Before you go any further, how do I engage with this? How do I understand this? How do I evangelize and be a missionary in this? Have you asked God for wisdom? Second thing, am I going to totally lose self-control and be mastered what I participate in? A good stranger, a good sojourner, is well aware of their own grid with Jesus. Okay, so what this means is it's going to be different for all of us. So Romans 13 will say, um, make no provisions for your flesh. You don't gratify its sinful desires. That means we're going to have different grids by which we make no provisions. We're not all the same. So an example would be if you just got out of AA, it's probably wise not to go do a Bible study at your local bar. It's just not. It's just not. Um, If you are weak or new in the faith and wrestling with doubts and lots of questions, it's wise for you to get around strong, solid, godly lovers of Jesus and ask them good questions and have them walk with you. It's not wise to go find people that will help you justify your thoughts. It's not always about right or wrong. It's more usually about is it wise when it comes to this third way. The last thing I just ask is, are you doing this to really win someone to Jesus or simply being selfish? So in your mission, in your witness, are you doing these things to really desire them to see Christ, to really win them to Jesus, or are you simply being selfish? Here's why I ask that and say that. I find it interesting that a lot of people who like to just go to the bars, go to the clubs, go to the just, just whatever, man, live the life, um, they'll always point out in the Bible that it's the religious people that called Jesus out who went there, so we should go there. Great. Here's the thing. If you read Jesus, every time he goes there, either people get saved or rebukes everyone in the room. So my question is, which are you doing? Right? Like, are you outright rebuking everyone in the room or are people getting saved? (laughs) Chat about that one with your wife on the drive home. So, so here's, here's, these are the thoughts, man, because, man, if you look at Jesus, look at him. Like, actually look at his life, and this is why it's important. This is the dividing line between biblical faith and religion. This is what it means to be holy and living holy and self-righteously. Religion says, if I do all these things and I abstain from these passions, God will like me and The gospel says something so much better. We don't change to earn the approval of God. The approval of God transforms us so we now go out as sojourners and strangers on mission and witness to his name. If you don't get that, you don't get Christianity. If you do get that, you get Christianity. So listen, here's what's awesome. We've come together to get an identity, to be a community, and be sent on mission. And this makes us being together extremely meaningful. Here's why. Coming together on Sunday, being a sojourner in exile makes this so good to us. I don't know if you've been on a missions trip or taking trips to other countries, but when I went, um, I went to Lima, Peru and parts of Mexico and the Philippines and other places, and they would have me preach in these open-air places, and I always needed a translator. It's normal. I don't speak any of those languages. I'm terrible at other languages. I know, I know English. That's it. I'm trying to learn. And I would preach, and they would translate, and I would meet with people, and it was just so frustrating to try and communicate. I don't know if you've ever felt that, if you've done that. 
like, oh, I just want to understand what I'm saying. And I feel like there's a, a break here. You know what was the best feeling in the world? It was when I would come back to the whole team and talk with someone who spoke English. Wait, wait, you understand me? Wait, wait, you get what I'm saying? Is that not what this is? Like we're out in the world, around culture, all week long, and people don't really get it, don't understand it, and then, then we come together and you're like, wait a second, you love him too? Right? Like you wanna sing too? Like, like you wanna sit under the preaching? Like you wanna hear the gospel again preached to you? Like wait, you believe that Jesus is better than my worldly passions that, that used to wage war against my soul? Isn't that so encouraging? That's, what, that's why us coming together, our strangeness, our alienness, that's why the gathering on Sundays and in growth groups and these other places is so valuable because we're all of a sudden back with those who we are home with. So that's why we're gonna sing and enjoy celebrating Jesus and take the supper together because we're family, because God's brought us together for a mission. And this is the one time that God has established we come together to lift up his flag, celebrate his rule and reign, and walk underneath his lordship and authority. So it's asking to help us do that, not just together, but as we leave today and for weeks and months to come. Jesus, thank you that we get to be yours. Thank you that you've saved us, redeemed us, reconciled us. Thank you that you dealt with our alienation. Thank you that you wanna use us as a witness of your name to the world. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us to have courage, not from ourselves, but from your Holy Spirit. I pray that you give us great wisdom in how to interact and rub shoulders with those who do not yet know you and love you and serve you. God, I pray that we'd be well aware of our own hearts. I pray we would never do anything simply to be something different, but to bring glory to your name so that people might see that there is someone greater than themselves and that is you. And God, as we come to the table, encourage us, nourish us by the saving reminders of the benefits that we've received in Christ, that you made us righteous, that you rewired our affections to you when we only wanted to worship what you made so that we can be helpful, healthy, wise people that live as sojourners in a foreign land, seeing more people one to this kingdom and this new land coming. In Jesus' name, amen. I uh, just encourage you before.